know, we were just talking. I, I was going to ask you, uh, hmm. the Amish, you were talking about the Amish that you heard singing. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, where is this located? Is this near you? Do mm -hmm. you have I'll tell you, I'll tell you when I'm not recording. Yeah. It's, it's, it's local. Have you ever done this before? I've done interviews. So you know you got to talk in the mic. Yes, I do. Is that you to see where the, see where, where it's comfortable? Awesome headphones. Oh, and I get to wear awesome headphones. Wait, awesome headphones. Oh, I didn't even see them here. Okay. You, oh, we can just hear each other. We don't hear anything else. Okay. Yes. I thank you for rescheduling this as well. At least I have a voice now. Mm. I've had a. I don't buy it. I think you went to see her. Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and the content expressed disturbing and or objectionable. I'm a wild roller coaster. I thought you. Right, I thought you. No, I think I mean, you took off and said, "I'm going to Cedar Point." Right. I mean, forget this stupid interview. Day, I'm going to go to Cedar Point. Wild, wild, Look at her, she's wild, wild and crazy. Yes. I mean, I feel really risky today because I have the top button unbuttoned in my shirt. So. Well, just you know. Hello, everybody. It's uh, Todd Fredericks, uh, D.O., Associate Professor of Family Medicine at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine in lovely Athens, Ohio, where it is a sunny winter day, even though it doesn't feel like winter. And uh, today, we're going to uh, investigate something I've been interested in for quite a long time. Um, but, uh, yeah, let me, let me think about what I was going to say. Why did I lose my train of thought? I don't know. But the fact of the matter is we're going to talk about the Amish today. And the person we're going to talk to is Melissa Thomas, PhD, who is a researcher here at Ohio, Ohio University. And she looks at the Amish, among other peoples, uh, for her research line. And we also have Sarah Atkins. Sarah, say something. Say something. Say something. Say something. This is Sarah. <laughs> and then we have Sarah's minion, Pi. Pi, say, say something. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Pi may chime in here in a little bit. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to say Melissa Thomas, who can introduce herself. Uh, and I'm going to ask her, Melissa, I'm glad to have you here. Tell us about you. Well, thank you for having me today. I'm really honored to be here. And Sarah, good to see you again. And Pi, nice to meet you. Um, a little about myself. Well, I like to say that um, I was born and uh, raised and still call Appalachia my home. And I have to make that distinction because I grew up right on the Ohio River between Where? Ohio, West Virginia border, Washington County, a little town called Newport. Mm -hmm. and, and where we're from, we say Appalachia. I know you'll hear different terminology, but um, that's how I was raised. So my, I think we all growing up, we have those favorite places and favorite people in our lives. And the, the shining star in my life was my grandmother, my father's mother. And she was just truly one of the most remarkable people I ever met. Uh, she had this can-do attitude, um, grew up pretty poor, uh, actually grew up on Grape Island in the middle of the Ohio River. She, she and her sister rode a boat, rode a boat to school wow. uh, in between. So uh, an amazing woman who truly was an inspiration to me. And um, she 
went back to school, uh, became an LPN and worked at the local hospital. And she was experiencing some symptoms, had some health issues and went to her doctor. And you know the old saying that no news is good news and had not received any follow-up. And about a year later, she was in such severe pain and found out that she'd been diagnosed with colon cancer. And unfortunately, the, uh, the office had failed to inform her of the results. How old was she? She was 72 when she passed. So she was in her late 60s when she was diagnosed. And this was when? Um, it would have been 80. She probably was diagnosed in 83, mm. 80, 80, about 83. Mm-hmm. So she had metastatic colon cancer at that time and suffered three years. And, and it really obviously changed my life forever. And I often said that if hope or prayer could have saved her, it was mm-hmm. my 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 purpose in life. And it was interesting at that time because um, one had to be over the age of 16 to go into the hospital to visit mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. So my days were spent usually, or evenings after my parents, my dad got off work as we would spend our time in the waiting room. And I recall those few times that we broke the hospital rules and my <laughs> father would sneak me up the stairwell just so I could see her. So nice. when she passed, I was just a freshman in high school and it it was really that defining moment in my life that I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to make a difference. I wanted nobody else to have to to suffer in a way. And really, it was sad because it was really lack of access to education, to, to health care, mm-hmm. that, um, that really she died of a disease that could have been prevented had she had that access. Mm-hmm. And so I was the first one in my family to, to leave home, to go to college. Uh, I... I um, I spent my high school years dedicated to getting the scholarships needed to go away, and I went to Ohio State University. Big traumatic experience (laughs) to my family. I went from this little town in Newport to this incredibly large uh, school. Which, by the way, we we don't say that name. (laughs) I know. Well, notice I didn't say the. (laughs) Oh, thank you. You see, you you modified it. I do the same thing. I do not. It's it's, it's Ohio State. Thank you. but it was like. But you've already given him four or five mentions. I, I, well, you can edit that out. I could. You, you know what? I'll just do a bleep like over it. I'll go. Right. Beep, I, went to, beep, I, went to call, I went away to college. Okay. Right. You went away I went away to college. college. I went away to, to college. Columbus. I went away to college. I went to Columbus. I went to, I went to Columbus. <laughs> yes. Went to the city. And um, so anyway, I, I spent my time there and research has always been a part of my life. I, um, I was the science fair queen. I used to joke that the most time I spent in a gym was, you know, during science fairs. I was going to become a meteorologist. This is way too long of an introduction. You're doing I great. This. This I, it's great. only five minutes yeah, into no, this. Okay. Well, yeah, I wanted to be a meteorologist. And so I studied climatology, meteorology. Um, I remember at the age of 16, as my older brother and younger sister watched in horror, that instead of getting a car, my great gift at 16 was my dad found a used microfish machine. <laughs> so I could actually get some of the, the climatological data from um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. That's amazing. So I, could, I was so excited. My, my, it smelled like a dead cat when you ran the thing, but I was in heaven. So research, I've always seen research as a tool to help communities and uncover data. So I had a really great research background. And uh, I started volunteering for the American Cancer Society, ended up with an amazing job. And it was through that I found my calling, which was really public health, not a degree I'd heard of previously. But if there was a, I felt like a profession that really spoke to, I felt my mission and honoring my grandmother, it was finding a degree that would help me prevent or detect disease early. Mm-hmm. And so from an early, I think an early age in my career, I had a strong passion in working with underserved communities, understudied communities, had focused a lot in addressing cancer disparities and a number of population groups in the central Ohio area in the city. But um, 
I ended up working at Ohio Health for 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, I founded the Office of Health Equity at the Ohio Health Research and Innovation Institute and continued that passion in addressing health disparities. But in corporate healthcare, my position kept moving up the ladder and taking me further from where I felt called. So it was truly an amazing uh, blessing, to say the least, that a position opened down here at um, HCOM where I felt like I had a chance to come back home to my roots and really look at the, you know, the issues and, and diseases that have impacted, I feel like, full circle from when I was a little girl. So this has been a tremendous blessing to be here. That's really, that's really yeah. interesting. Okay, so there's two questions that come to mind immediately. You're super wonkish. Do you have any bobbleheads in your office? I do not. Do you, you don't? I, I, I don't. <laughs> well, okay, what wonkish, what wonkish tchotchke do you have in your office? I, um, that wow, that's a great question. Um, I, wow, oh, that's, I feel like I, I haven't really. Maybe meteorologists aren't those kind of wonks. Oh, Maybe she needs a bobblehead. Maybe I, we should get her a bobblehead. I think she needs so. a meteorology If you could have a bobblehead, what would it be? Wow. Maybe Yoda? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, I know. I confess I, I, um, I'm ridiculed by some of my friends. I've never seen Star Wars. None of that. Um, it's just a sad comment. It, it really is. I know. I feel like I've lost maybe a couple of friends or two from that. So, no, I joke. I was too busy studying. I mean, my, my high school years were in the basement with that microfish machine studying. So um, Yeah, I'm just, I'm just still rattling around my head about the microfish machine. I know. That's I, an it, insightful father right there. If he bought you a microfish machine, he, that's true love right that's there. Because he's like thinking, I want to get my little pony uh, right. or the new pink Legos for my daughter. No, he's right. thinking microfish because right. that's what she wants. That's yeah, she how, wants. About, how about a car? But no, I, no, I, I want micro, oh, no. You want the car. Uh, I, no, a microfish machine. Right. Okay. So so I forget what the other question is, but it'll come. So, so oh, what I was going to say was, this is interesting because if you're in hospital administration, it seems to me that to generalize unfairly mm -hmm. that all hospital administrators just dream of keep going up in the building till they get a corner office somewhere and they can stare out on the, their, their realm <laughs> right and and all that they have conquered right mm -hmm. and you didn't want to do that you're like i've got to the third floor i gotta get out of here because this is making me crazy mm -hmm. right? yeah to an extent i right? mean i think i think i think a lot of people who are in in healthcare, any passion that you have, mm -hmm. I mean, if you feel that driven to do something, it's hard to steer off that path. And I had for 20 years found healthcare as a way to be able to further what my calling has been, which mm -hmm. I felt is in serving communities and empowering communities with tools to take charge of their health. So I found it to work and it just seemed like further up the administrative ladder, the responsibilities had shifted and, and that need to be able to still serve communities in that way more directly was, was being I think, um, substituted with other larger administrative needs. So, And that was a great learning experience. It really was. I think for me, too, the shift in healthcare was back in, I believe it was 2011, when the federal government had changed guidelines so that now nonprofit hospital systems are going to have to show their worth. Mm -hmm. And when turning in those 990 tax returns would have to actually do a community health assessment and have an assessment plan of what they're going to do to serve communities' needs. And that was really, for me, a pivotal moment because I thought, wow, this would be a chance to really showcase um, how communities can be better served by large healthcare organizations. And so that that fed my soul, I felt, for a time being, which was really insightful. And I know we have some amazing research that's currently going on here at HCOM with Dr. Berkeley Franz and mm -hmm. um, Dan, Dr. Dan Skinner that has looked at these very issues with hospital systems. So I learned a lot. I think I learned a lot in, um, obviously, I learned a lot in how to utilize a very large healthcare system with a lot of resources to be able to 
I think access and and motivate and encourage others to see the needs of communities. So it was a very rewarding experience. But the research aspect was still missing. And so this is exciting to come back to where my roots are. So there are like a bazillion <coughs> communities, right? Yes. Um, why the Amish? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And um, I know I, I share with folks, I, I'm not Amish. I, I have no Amish or, or Mennonite background. Um, it I actually was was so excited. My my first job after the American Cancer Society and my career starting at Ohio Health was actually at Riverside Hospital. And um, West Virginia University was lead on a grant from the National Cancer Institute to actually look at the disproportionately higher cancer rates in the Appalachia region of the United States. And so Riverside Methodist Hospital was that site for the Ohio counties. And uh, I was hired on as the program coordinator initially, and I was just so excited uh, to get back home and, and work in these communities. And it was a fascinating grant because the, the goal of the project early was to see how community-based coalitions could um, make an impact in increasing screening and hopefully reducing some of those higher cancer rates we saw in these communities. And so a big focus of the grant early on was looking at mammography because we saw these higher breast cancer rates. So mobile mammography was a key component. And we really centered on parts of the state where we saw limited resources, no hospitals within the county walls. So there was a particular mobile mammography unit screening and I drove out to it and noticed a few Amish homes. And I thought it was sad that the Amish community didn't come out and participate in the screening because it wasn't a county that had no hospital system within that within the county walls. And I asked some of the local folks who told me that the Amish didn't believe in health care, they wouldn't be interested. And, and I thought, wow, maybe we should okay. ask them if they would be interested. And there was a local nurse at the health department who had a farm, had horses, knew many of the community members. She lived right in that, that, that circle of the community. And uh, there was a grant I found that was funded by Avon. Uh, <laughs> seriously, the Avon product. So the pink mugs and the pins and wow. so forth. Oh, for breast cancer. Yes. They, okay. Yes. So they had a fund and a grant for $50,000. Because I don't normally think of Amish mm -hmm. women as Avon ladies. I, okay? I do not. <laughs> That's not what comes to mind. I, I do not. This, when was this? Uh, this, this was in, uh, uh, I submitted the grant. We call the start of the project in November of 97. Okay. Okay. So I was just a pop just 20-some years old, had never applied for a grant. And awesome. Rhoda, the nurse, had made arrangements to get down and meet the community. And I was terrified. Um, I remember not wearing any makeup no. and trying to be culturally sensitive, no jewelry. Right. And I remember pulling in, uh, and the women were getting ready for church service because many of the communities have church in their homes. So I just remember walking in, and there were probably a dozen women and two dozen kids all staring at me and wondering, why are you here? And I just asked them, would you be interested in learning more about breast cancer? And they said yes. Mm -hmm. So I submitted the grant with a blessing and letters from signed from the bishops in these three different church districts. Oh. And in February, we, we found out we got the grant. And I was to fly down to Atlanta to, to see an Avon plant. Uh, and to receive the check. Wow. And I told Riverside Hospital I wouldn't go unless they paid for the nurse, Rhoda, to come with me to receive the honor, and Riverside did. So we flew down, and they gave us a $50,000 check that's nice. like five feet long. <laughs> I love the big With checks. a $50,000 check in my pocket. 
Oh, so what, that wasn't the real check. <laughs> but, no, but, but, we felt, but people thought we won the lottery walking through the Atlanta <laughs> Yeah, airport. that's really cool. See, I've always wondered, can you actually cash the, the six-foot-wide yeah. check? Here it was. You know, it's a whiteboard. It's, like just, a whiteboard. it's just a prop. I mean, it may not have been in 97, but it's, it's a, a whiteboard. But it was advertising. I had $50,000 you know, on my that. person, which yeah. made us nervous. That's but, smart. And we felt yeah. like we won the lottery, actually. Well, you did. We did. Grants are lotteries, really, aren't they? And the judgment for awarding grants usually kind of replicates a lottery. You just never know how they do it. This is true. Yeah. And I was, and I remember I was waiting at home, so excited. I was starting my my first master's degree, and I got the phone call at five o'clock that February. How many do you have? I know. I was like, wait like, a second, a couple, but that's four. A, yeah. that no, was... no, just a couple. More than two? No, just two. <laughs> okay. um, I remember I was waiting to start my master's program, and I got the call that we got the grant, and it was so exciting. And the funny thing is that Avon gave you free products, and so oh, yeah. we had. To make a decision, so we that's sweet. We, yeah. we said no makeup, but they we had the hand lotions and things, which was oh, really a nice. great incentive for the program. So the program started, and this community became. Um, I mean, it was a pretty poor and very conservative mm-hmm. group of Amish, but they became close friends and really that mm-hmm. pilot group. So um, I often joke in those early years about how hard I tried to be so culturally sensitive mm-hmm. and how. Much I failed because what I thought was important to the community wasn't important at all. Mm-hmm. And one quick example, um, I know after we'd become very close, I went back to the community and sharing how much I was so nervous about meeting them and trying to be sensitive and and how they were all staring back at me. And <laughs> one of the older Amish ladies said, well, you know, Melissa, when you showed up in your car, we knew you weren't Amish. <laughs> and uh, without your makeup, it, you know, you had this short hair and actually we didn't have any makeup or jewelry on. we didn't know if you were a man or a woman so so you know we were joking because I was I mean for two years in the project I and it was only a year grant so fifty thousand dollars in and uh, it was such a learning experience because there had been no education developed for this community nobody knew anything about what the Amish knew about breast cancer what they wanted to know so one year fifty thousand dollars and it was at the end of that we realized that we had many more questions and answers, and I then continued. I submitted a grant to the Susan G. Komen Foundation mm-hmm. National. Mm-hmm. They awarded only 14 um, national research grants, had received one of those uh, 14, and followed up with another quarter of a million dollar grant, 10 awarded in the country. Wonderful. And it was through that funding that gave us the, the, the really Im- big information about that um, I conducted the, the first epidemiological study to estimate breast cancer Incidents and mortality among the two Amish settlements here in Ohio, the the, the two largest. So, mm-hmm. Ohio, depending on the year, has the world's largest, and we have the fourth largest Amish communities. Mm-hmm. So, in studying those communities, it's very difficult to. Is this up in Geauga or Holmes County? Where you're at? Both those. Okay. Yes. So, okay, looking so at the Holmes County settlement and the Geauga County settlement. Yeah. Okay. So, and and there had been other studies that made some estimates about breast cancer, but we were conducting the first true epidemiological study. So, mm-hmm. the Ohio Department of Health has. The vital statistics database and cancer incidence surveillance statistics. So they know in these counties who's diagnosed with breast cancer and who died, but they didn't know who was Amish. And since census data doesn't capture that information, um, we actually took the uh, Amish directories. And it's really, if you will, a phone book of sorts uh, mm-hmm. to the communities, but without the phone numbers. But mm-hmm. it's a treasure trove of information that lists every single church district. It lists head of household, careers. It lists um, dates mm-hmm. of birth, death, children, marriage dates. 
So pain pretty st- important document for an epidemiologist. It is, and <laughs> since there's no electronic record, it yeah. required us to enter. We and enter, probably pretty yep. accurate. Yes, and we entered all names of all women 18 and older from those wow. two directories wow. to estimate those. And I think what's interesting too about talking about this work and the importance of community-led research. We talk mm-hmm. about community-based participatory research, community-engaged, but this project's been community-led from the beginning. And even though these directories could be obtained. Um, it, you know, they were available. I actually went to the, um, you know, to the man who was responsible for the directory in the Holmes County area specifically and asked his blessing to do mm-hmm. this study, um, which I think he was surprised. And so it was through that we found, wow, Amish women were dying at higher rates of breast cancer um, compared to white women in these same counties and state national averages. And so the question from those first two years was why? Mm-hmm. Um, we found that the leading cause of death of Amish women under the age of 60 was breast cancer. Now, granted, they had you know, fewer competing factors such as uh, you know, they weren't driving other automobile accidents right. that we see in younger women. And so initially we hypothesized that Amish women were dying at higher rates because they weren't getting screened. And we knew from our research that Amish women were less likely to be screened for breast cancer. But that's not what we found. We found often many women were diagnosed in their 40s um, with localized breast cancer and dead within five years. Hmm. And so that, that, and I think for us, you know, that question was, well, what do you do now? I mean- Mm -hmm. I was doing all of this work outside, really, the purview of the the grant that we had. It still applied. But I guess it was just this haunting question of not knowing knowing why. And so for the last 20-some years, uh, we developed a a multi-state project and a nonprofit organization uh, called CARE, the Center for Appalachia Research and Cancer Education. It's done a few other projects, but its cornerstone is the work with the Amish. Well, yeah. a couple housekeeping issues. First of all, for people who are listening who are on the other side of the world, if you take Ohio, uh, it's roughly a square state, and you look up in that, <clears throat> what would be the northeastern corner, about 30 miles to the east of Cleveland, you'll find Geauga. You'll, you'll find um, Chardon is what you'll find. And then if you go another 20 miles or so or 10 miles, you'll end up in, in Middlefield and, and those communities, which is where the Amish are located. They're very nice places. That part of the Ohio is known for the Maple Festival. It's a big deal. You should go there. Put it on ice cream. If you go south on that same side of the state, about midway down, that's where you're going to find about 50 miles inland, you're going to find Holmes County. And that's where the next big population of Amish is. And they're massive. Um, And uh, what's funny to me about this is that these communities are integral to Ohio tourism. Because lots of people go to Amish country. Mm-hmm. They want to go eat at their restaurants. They want to yeah. buy furniture. They want to do all the things that Amish's communities do. Yes. And yet, nobody had thought, maybe we should go look at them. There's a, a tremendous amount of confirmation bias present here of assuming that the Amish do and don't do certain things without really knowing what the Amish do and don't do. Absolutely. Because if I, I practice in Holmes County, so... I know that the Amish get health care. Right. Every time one of those carpenters blows a nail through his hand with a nail gun, they come into the emergency room to get the nail taken out. I know they, they access health care, and yet you show up relatively recently and say, uh, no one's really studying these people? Like, we've been talking about breast cancer screening for 50 years, right? Right, right. And no one ever thought this big community that's integral to Ohio and Ohio tourism, maybe we should go in there and take a look at what they want and what they don't want. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's mind-boggling. And that's really... It's like the, low-hanging fruit. Like, well, no one's ever really looked right. at this before. You know, I, I have been asked, you know, what's your, you know, what's your elevator picture? What's your story? And I, I remember 
early on in a program, I, I said, you know, what I, my, my little pitch used to be that what I do isn't rocket science, but I just ask the questions that nobody's asking to communities that often never have their voices heard. And then the responsibility we have to be able to, to lift up those voices and be able to help address the needs of communities. And I remember another researcher said once, well, what if it is rocket science? And I hadn't really considered that because I just saw a community, I stumbled across a community that wasn't getting help. And I just happened to ask, would you like to know more? And they did. And it, it really, to me, was as simplistic as that. And I never would have dreamt in a million years, two decades later, that this was still, you know, such a, an important project and, and without question, life-changing. But it's just really opened the world, I think, of any of us who have that that point in life where we come to a, a situation or a crossroads or an experience where we stop and, and wonder, is this important? Is this something that that I should take pause? Well, it, it speaks to me because this it, I would be I would be shocked if it wasn't for the fact that I'm familiar with this happening in a lot of places. There tends to be sort of this um, urban centrism in our country where rural health is disregarded as being sort of quaint and not essential. And um, unfortunately, there's a lot of different types of populations that are not trivial in terms of their size that have unique needs and have unique concerns. And yet, um, healthcare centered around urban urban areas is a very unique thing. It doesn't address rural needs frequently, and it's dismissive of them. And unfortunately, the rural areas where all the food, the power, the manufacturing mm -hmm. happens for all those urban areas. So you would think there'd be a vested interest in the long term of thinking, hmm, these people grow all our food, they make all mm -hmm. of our power, and they manufacture all of our stuff. Maybe we should look after them in terms of how do we keep them healthy and doing well. You know what I mean? It just it's very, very um it's it's a it's a almost a I don't want to say racism because it's it's overused and it's hackney, but it's it's a, a bigotry of a sort that we're not thinking about these communities that we just think, well, you know, whatever's good for us here in, in whatever major urban area you think of is good for everybody. And it's not because well, those communities don't live in downtown Columbus, I right? I keep thinking of genetics because it's a big thing in pharmacy now. So we talk a lot about yes. gene-related issues and gene treatments, gene-related treatments. Yeah. And so in my head, I keep thinking of genetics and what that Why 40-year-old Amish women are having like, breast cancer. Exactly. Right. Right. Sarah, exactly. This, and, and, you know, we... Through the last 20 years, those four areas of research that we focused has yeah. been on first, you know, uh, developing culturally competent education, understanding what the Amish know, what yes. do they want to know about breast cancer, uh, focusing on access to care and setting up other units and, and clinics and screenings and actually working with hospital systems to better understand the community. Yeah. Um, that other focus has been on um, genetics is, I'm excited yeah. being here at HCOM because this is a brand new opportunity to explore yeah. that last frontier of what those needs really are. And, and, you know, so much of the early years was focused on educating Amish and Mennonite communities, but we realized the healthcare systems and, and healthcare yeah. providers don't know. So we, we really then focus on bridging that gap between not the culture of the community, but the culture of healthcare. Right. So we were really the first to develop culturally competent programs and develop the, a national biennial conference where we bring in healthcare providers and experts to talk about their best practices, but it's all developed and centered on the Amish and Mennonite community members and um, who talk about their culture and community and talk about their needs. Because I often say, I've been blessed to work with the community, but I'm not Amish. So I can definitely tell you about what we've done and mm -hmm. what's worked, but I don't have a right to tell you who they are because I'm not a member of that community. So we provided opportunities to allow the community members themselves to have a voice to share mm -hmm. their stories. Well, don't worry, because as we close the first segment, the second segment is going to talk about what an English woman's perception of the Amish are. Yes. Because that's okay. Because you, you can speak to that, right? I mean, absolutely. my wife as a child spent 
most of her afternoons in the summer in an Amish community. And she learned a lot of things from them. And she learned what it was like to be Amish and, and live that way. Um, there used to be a relatively large Amish community out in the town of Chester Hill. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yes. so my wife spent most of her childhood going and in 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 involving herself through the direction of her mom with the Amish. And so you can make, I think you can make some assessments. And not only that, but because the Amish aren't listening to this. <laughs> don't know that. You we don't need know that. the English to know <laughs> right. what is going on with the Amish, right? right. Because um, I will say this about the Amish. Um, the Amish, are, it's an interesting community to me as a person who doesn't focus on their on research because as sort of a, sort of a, a hobbyist sociologist, the Amish are really cherished by Ohioans. I mean, when you mm -hmm. look at them, there's a unique feeling about the Amish, like, look, don't speed down that country road because you could hit a buggy. Or these people are living their life, and we like those people. Uh, don't mess with them. I, there's a feeling, I, I talked to lots of Ohioans, and everybody has, you never hear a negative thing about the Amish, at least in my comings and goings. I speak to a lot of people, especially in Southeast Ohio. I think mm -hmm. there's a deep appreciation for Amish people. Lots of people go to Amish country because they like spending time there. It's peaceful and relaxing. Mm -hmm. And as you get to know the Amish, you realize they're just nice people. They just want to live a much simpler lifestyle in terms of technology than most of us, but extremely sophisticated in terms of storytelling and songs and everything else. I mean, they're just normal people. They just live a little different life. Amazing, hardworking, hardworking people. Yeah. Very generous. One of the things that struck That I've seen. About 15 years ago, I was up in Holmes County, and I was driving, and I saw them. I would love to have gotten a photograph of it, but there was about a 10-year-old Amish boy that was driving four Percheron draft horses back to a barn. And I thought, you underestimate these people. When they give a 10-year-old control of 8,000 pounds of horse flesh, mm -hmm. and his dad says, put them back in the barn, and that 10-year-old takes those that team of horses and puts them back in the barn, tell me how many 10-year-olds living in Columbus, Ohio, could handle that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are really impressive people in mm -hmm. terms of how they, how they conduct themselves, but... Um, yeah, so I, I think this is good. Well, so we're gonna I'm gonna end the first segment here, and then we'll go into the Amish as a community because we've talked about your breast cancer research and epidemiology. I think it's really cool too that your model is um, a really good model for how to do any epidemiological research. Mm -hmm. I would agree. I would yeah. agree. We focus so much on the differences in populations at times, but I would argue that the, the model that I used in working with the Amish or working with the Latino community in Columbus or LGBT community, um, African American community. I mean, every project really has has followed that same model, which mm -hmm. is very much community led and community engaged from the beginning. And I think that's been the successful strategy. Um, and we focus a lot on differences among population groups, but we often don't take the time to come back together and sit at the table. And mm -hmm. it was always amazing to me to see the similarities or common bonds that we had across cultures. Many of the beliefs and, and family structure that we saw in Amish communities really, really related to many of the experiences um, my colleagues who were African-American had, and even in the rural communities or Appalachia communities. So I think there's a strong benefit in seeing some of those cross-cultural similarities that we have among groups. So before I before I'm going to ask one more question and, and ask Sarah and, and Pi if they have anything to ask you before we close this out. Um, do you see an issue? Maybe you'll speak to this about this, sort of this mass production of of physicians today, where we're all expecting them to go do kind of the same kind of generic residency training and that sort of thing. I mean, is that really preparing physicians who are interested in in really integrating themselves into these communities and operating within these communities? Um, I guess what I'm trying to get my head around is that traditionally, um, a doctor would find a community to set up shop in, and they would become experts in that community over 20 years of practice or 30 years of practice and be better at taking care of the unique needs of that community. Do you see that 
staying the same, declining. I see, I see the corporatization of medicine and I mm-hmm. see this sort of mm-hmm. plug and play. Well, if you can practice in Athens, you can practice in mm-hmm. Columbus mm-hmm. with corporatization of healthcare. Do you see anything to that? I, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I think too, as we see continued migration patterns and Amish communities that are expanding out across the, the rural state, just because again, lack of farmland or, or affordable farmland to, to do their work. Um, I think sometimes we think that these are cloistered communities that if you work in Columbus, you're never going to see this community mm-hmm. or even down here. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's absolutely not true because we have Amish communities very close to these urban areas. Um, I mean, Amish go to Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. They go to Columbus Truly. to have their, their care. Yeah. So I would say there's very few places in Ohio that a physician would not encounter an Amish or Mennonite community or family. And I agree. I think it's not so much, I think in medicine and in public health, we focus so much on, um, trying to have these these unique encounters with different population groups. And I think that there's value in that, but there's also a danger sometimes in stereotyping mm-hmm. these communities. And yeah. so we, we see, I saw really in the, in the 90s and early 2000s, these programs that were talking about how to work with the Amish or work with the Asian American community. And so it became this list mm-hmm. uh, of Here's the values and, and beliefs. And I had been to some very dangerous conferences where people were talking about certain population groups and what they believed. And and I thought, wow, there's there's so many people who don't fit into that box. And I think there's more value in having students, medical students, having physicians, just having experiences with diverse population groups and how mm-hmm. to understand that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Amish or uh, any culture, mm-hmm. any any socioeconomic status, just being able to relate to someone who has a different value set, different beliefs, or or just different customs and cultures in your own. So instead of focusing so much on oh this is a this may be an Asian American person or or Somali person, we need to remember in our head this checklist of what their beliefs mm-hmm. are. Why can't we get beyond that and mm-hmm. focus on the similarities that we have? Because across any population group I've ever encountered. Every group wanted exactly the same thing, and that is to be treated with dignity and respect mm-hmm. and have the ability to make their own healthcare decisions. Mm-hmm. And if we can follow that premise, mm-hmm. we can work with any group. Three rules of civil affairs in the military, because you go in these, all these places. Three, there's three commonalities in human beings. One, they want to grow old and die peacefully in their sleep. Number two, they want to see their grandchildren born. Number three, they all want ice cream. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious, right? So if, if you grow old and die peacefully in your sleep, it means you haven't been the victim of a natural or man-made disaster or something awful, right? Right. If you see your grandchildren, it means your primary responsibility to raising your own children is done. It means you can safely leave knowing you're not leaving your children vulnerable, that they've already gotten on with their life. Yeah. So it gives you a sense of peace about your accomplishments in life. And the third thing, they want a little bit of something to look forward to in their life. Like we get to have ice cream on Sunday. And I always approach any group I dealt with, like the, I know for sure we have three common things going mm-hmm. on here. That's a great, right? great premise, yes. I think so. And so one thing the military did was it allowed me to understand some of the skills you're talking about. I don't have to know about Southeast Asian people. All I have to know is that they probably have this – if I know the right questions to ask to start mm-hmm. looking at what's appropriate, what's not appropriate when I'm there in the context, I can learn pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You're right. I think, that's, I think it's good. Hey, Sarah, what do you think before we close this thing out, this first segment? I have questions. I'll save them to the next segment, though. Are you sure? Yeah. Because we're going to talk about the Amish as a people. Yeah, I think that'll the questions will fit. Hi. I think my question will be better for the next segment. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, so you good? I'm great. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do some some production magic, and then we're gonna come right back. Okay. 
Great. Sounds good? Thank you. Okay, and everybody who's listening, look at the show notes. There's going to be some stuff in there about Melissa's work, and uh, we'll maybe even put in a map in so you can figure out where Ohio is and more so where the Amish are located. And um, you think about that because, uh, again, I, I do believe maybe naively that in the state of Ohio, we really like our Amish communities. They're really cool people to get to know as your neighbors and, and again, they're just people. Yeah, so I uh, will close this one out and uh, we'll get you on the next segment of rotations. Take care. Science is part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of the High University, the High University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. This episode of Rotations was produced by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we sometimes pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators. You must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by tweeting us at Medical Cinema for Todd, at Prof Plow for Brian, Nisarg Bakshi for Nisarg Bakshi, and at Rotations PCAST, or by visiting mediaandmedicine.com slash rotations. Check us out on Facebook at Media and Medicine. And finally, from me, Todd Fredericks, you can also send me a message through my Facebook page at TR Fredericks. But please, I have a sensitive feelings, so embrace your inner non-hater.